Guys, we're continuing our series on Summer at Faith, and we're walking through the book of Ephesians. And uh, how many appreciated Pastor Kurt's message last week? Good, good. And so today I'm going to be sharing with you some truths that I believe will transform your life forever. If you get them, if you believe them, if you let them get in you and change you, it, it, it will transform your life. This series on Ephesians is about the fundamentals, the foundations in our life. Six short chapters that if you learn these, if you read these, if you study these, they will transform you forever. And that's why it's important that we understand these six chapters as we walk through them this summer. But you know, our whole journey and our relationship with God is very simple. It's that we would know God and we would experience God. That, that God throughout our lives is always revealing more and more of himself to us and in us and through us. You're never going to come to the place, I pray you don't because you're in trouble, that you come to the place and say, you know what, I've been walking with God for s- several years. I've got it all. i got them figured out. I got it. I'm good. Thanks. What's next? That's not going to happen. That's like dipping your finger into the ocean and being like, oh, I get it. I understand all there is about God. That is, that is the same. And what that means is, is there is more that God has for you in your personal lives and your family and your spiritual journey. God has more for you. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Everyone say more. more. God has more for you. And so this book of Ephesians It keeps us on a journey of discovering God. Paul, as he wrote this book, he's enlarging the expectation of our heart. And he's dealing, and we're going to be dealing with some deep theological truths that are very important for us to understand. But what I love about Paul, when he writes in in all all of the New Testament books that he writes, is that it's all about Jesus. Say that with me. It's all about Jesus. Not only is Paul pointing everything to Jesus in this book that we're reading, he's continuing the theme of the whole of the Bible that is all about Jesus. You may not know that, but let me just clarify some things about the Word of God that we hold dear to our heart. The Bible is a Christ-centered book. It is all about Jesus in which every book is in unity with another book telling the story of a redemption of the whole world through His Son, God's Son, Jesus Christ. And what I love about this whole idea of the book of Out of the Bible is that Jesus is always the victorious one. Jesus is always the hero. Jesus is the hero in the garden when the promise came that he would crush the serpent's head. Jesus is the hero when God made a promise to Abraham to bless the world through his seed, which was Jesus. Jesus is the hero on Mount Sinai when the law was given to Moses. Jesus is the hero in all of the feasts celebrated in the Old Testament. Jesus is the hero of the Bible, and he is what this book is all about. Amen. And so we're going to focus on Jesus a little bit through this series. And, uh, and, and what this is what Paul is doing in this passage today. He's talking to us about how it's all about Jesus. He's pointing everything to Jesus. And Paul is taking us on a journey, giving us perspective about kind of our journey as we walk with God and we walk in our, in our relationship with Christ. And it's really hard to understand where you are today, and your journey with God, unless you fully understand where you came from. And it's really hard to understand where you're going, unless you understand fully where you are 
today. And this whole letter is up to you and to me for us to understand the beauty and the power of God's grace in your life. And for this letter is for those of you who may struggle with understanding God's love for you. Which I would say the majority of us in, in our Christian walk, the majority of us in our, in our journey, we, we struggle with this idea, does God really love me? Does he really care for me the way that that, that preacher guy tells me he does? We come in a moment of maybe insecurity about this feeling. Does God really embrace me? Does God really accept me? And here's, here is what Paul deals with today because we're not the only ones to, to ever have to feel this. The people back in the church in Ephesians a couple thousand years ago also struggled with the same thing. And what we're going to read today is this, is that God's love for you has nothing to do with your moral performance. Has nothing to do with how good you are. Has nothing to do with, with how, many, how many boxes you checked at the end of your day to say, okay, now I am worthy of God's love. And you might be here today and think this, that your life is consists of the sum total of all of the mistakes you've made. And so somehow you got to do more good things than you did bad things. And once you can get the scale to shift, boom, then God can love you. That is not what the Bible teaches. Paul is very clear that your life the existence of you, God's love for you, has everything to do with God's grace and nothing to do with your performance. That's it. And that is God's love. That's what he wants to do today is pour his love over you. He wants to, he wants to, he wants to just, just totally annihilate any feelings of performance, any feelings of I'm not good enough. He wants to pour it over you and show his grace on you today. And so Paul answers these three Questions, And I want you to look at them and we'll step into these three questions. Where did you come from? Where are you going now? And where are you going? These three questions he deals with in this passage. Where did you come from? Where are you going? Where are you now? And where are you going? Cheryl and I just came back from a, from a trip to Israel. We, we were with a ministry team that's called the Internationals here. One of, our, uh, one of our ministry teams that goes to Israel and serves at different military bases and and we, uh, we encourage them, we strengthen them. And, and these are the three questions that kept coming up. So I thought, I'm going to use these um, in my message this Sunday. And so once, once we arrived at one military base, everyone asked us, where did you come from? Why? Because they wanted to know, what was the journey? How did you get here? What, did you go from the north? Did you come from the south? Did you come from, from the east? How did you get here? Also, once we got there, I always asked this question, where the heck am I right now? Because I didn't know. Because we were in this military base in the middle of nowhere. Funny enough, the last one we were at, uh, we were on the border of Gaza, and we were at one of the portable Iron Dome bases. And we arrived there like, don't take any pictures. And we thought, but I, but I really want to. This is super cool. Gaza's right there, and the Iron Dome antenna was right there. And, and we were there celebrating with them because <laughs> this base had just shot down their first missile coming over from Gaza. And so they were having a big party that night. We were part of the party, and it was fun. And so I said, well, where, you know, where are we now? They're like, I can't tell you. So anyway, so I can't answer that question. And then the next question was this. When we left, well, where are you going? And I realized these are three important questions in our faith about where did we come from, where are we now, and where are you going? I don't know if you ever thought about these questions. Where did you come from? Where are you right now? Have you ever taken an evaluation? Where are you right now in your spiritual journey? And the last one, where are you going? 
What's your trajectory? Where, where are you moving towards? And so I want to just get into this today, and I'm going to be answering this first question. But before we get into this, let's read out of Ephesians chapter 2 as Paul answers these three questions, verses 1 through 7. And let's read, as for you, you were dead in your, in, in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, <laughs> made us alive with Christ, even we were, when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I want to look at this first question. Where did you come from? In other words, what was your past condition? It's very difficult to understand where you are today unless you fully understand where you came from. And this, in this passage of Scripture in our past condition, it's a picture of our guilt. And we're not going to take too long here. We don't need to focus on our guilt too much. But what we need to do is understand what did God deliver us from. And this is a picture of our shame. It's a picture of our condition without Christ Jesus. How many here are thankful that you have Christ Jesus today? I am. But this is a picture that Paul is telling us and speaking to us today about our past condition. Now I know most of you are believers today, but there are some of you who are not believers. And what we're going to look at in just a moment is, is, is that this, what this describes is what a believer right now, what their past is like. But if you're not a believer, this describes where you are right now. This is your current condition. And so if you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ, this isn't talking about your past. It's talking about your present. But God gives you hope today. But if you're a believer, the question to this idea, where did you come from, is this first one, is that you were dead. You were dead. That's what Paul is, is communicating, that you were dead. He uses his past tense to describe you, that before Jesus Christ, you were dead. Ephesians 1.1 says this, as for you, you were dead. That's, that's what your condition was. And this is, the, this is the word describing your past conditions. You were dead. Now, here's, I want you to hear me for a moment. This is not talking about physical death. There are, actually, there are two Greek words in the Bible that speak of physical death and spiritual death. The Greek word used for this one is this spiritual death. You were dead in your transgressions and you were dead in your sin before Christ Jesus. And so this whole idea is that you were separated as a person from God. You were dead. You had no hope. There was nothing left for you. Your, your, your destiny was hell and you were dead. You were cut off from God. Now all of you who are now Christians were at one time, you were spiritually dead. But now, according to the scripture, you are alive in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says this in John 3. He says this. 
Whoever believes in the Son, speaking of himself, Jesus, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on them. If you have the Son, you have life. If you do not have the Son, you do not have life. There is, it doesn't matter what, how you want to spin it, what journey you think you can go on, how you can check the box, how good you think you can be. If you do not know and receive the grace of Jesus Christ, you do not have life. But if you did receive the grace of Jesus Christ, you have life today and joy today. See, many people think this, listen, you know, life begins when I'm going to turn 18. Or life begins when I'm 21. Or life begins, life will begin when I get the promotion and I get the money that I really need to, to do what I really want to do. Or life's going to really begin when I win the lottery. That's when it's going to begin, isn't it? That's, that's it. Or life's going to really begin when I retire and I can really enjoy life. But actually, the Bible doesn't teach it at all. It says this, that life begins with Jesus. Life begins with Jesus. And this, there are people in this world that you can, you can make yourself look like you're living life. Man, you can check every box. You can look good. Man, you can put paint on the barn and put decorations on yourself. And you think, man, see, look at me. I look, I look wonderful. But if you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. If the world doesn't have Jesus, they don't have life. It's like during Christmas time. We used to go out into the pasture, and we'd always cut our own Christmas tree down. And we'd cut it down, and we'd bring it in, and we'd bring it into the house, and you'd hang tinsel and, and, and ornaments on it, put a star on it, put lights on it. I mean, that baby looked better in our house than it ever did out in the pasture, that's for sure. But the reality was this. It looked alive, but it was dead because we had cut it off from its roots. It no longer had life flowing through it. Its destiny, its doom was death. It looked good, but it was dead. And there are the same thing in our world, and maybe even in this church today. There are men, there are women, there are teenagers, there are boys, and there are girls who look wonderful. Man, you, you, you look it, you dress it, you act it. But because you've been cut off from the source, because you don't know Jesus Christ, they are dead. And you and I, according to this passage of Scripture, you and I were dead at one time. That's where we came from. That's all in our past. Another thing that's in our past is number two, you belonged to the devil. Isn't that encouraging today? <laughs> You're like, well, I came to church to be told I used to belong to the devil. You're right, you did. You probably act like it still today, but you don't belong to him. I do know that. Paul says this in Ephesians 2. You used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the Spirit, speaking of Satan himself. So in your past, you belonged to the devil. And Jesus said this, there are two families you can belong to in this world. And he pointed his fingers in one instance to the Pharisees um, who were not true righteous believers, even though they were very religious. And he said this, you, you are of your father, the devil. That's what Jesus told Pharisees. That's what Jesus told some people who were super religious. They dressed right. They looked right. They had the tinsel and the star on top of their tree. And they looked great. And he says this, you are of your father, the devil. How, how, wouldn't that be encouraging? You just walk in and Jesus said, just so you know, you're of your father, the devil. I mean, that had to, be, that had to rock their worlds. But what he was saying is this, there's God's family 
and there's the devil's family. There's two types of families in this world. Whether you like it or not, every single one of us in this world is born into the wrong family. You're born into the wrong family. And we're born into the devil's family. We're a slave to, the, to Satan as long as we are a slave to sin. And when you become a Christian, listen to this, my friends. When you become a Christian, when you accept the grace of Jesus because you receive it, you drink it, you make it a part of your life, you transfer your family, your last name is changed. You go from this household to that household, and you are brought into the family of God. You no longer belong to, your, to the deeds of your past. You move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Your family, your, your last name has been changed when you accept Jesus Christ. And that's good news. But you need to understand where you came from because it helps you understand about more where you are today and what God, what, what grace you can walk in today. And when you're not a believer, this sounds ridiculous because you say, you know what, I'm not following the devil. I'm not a devil worshiper. I, I, I don't, I'm not a witch. I don't cast spells on people. But it's important for you to understand that the Bible says if you're not a Christian, you do belong to the devil, and you're a slave to him. What the scripture says. When you are not serving God and serving the devil, here's what's interesting. You feel, you feel like you have the freedom to choose whatever you want. I do whatever I want. I, I, don't, I don't go to church. I don't serve Jesus. And you think you don't serve the devil, and you feel like you are free to do whatever you want. But actually, you are an absolute slave. When you're not a Christian, you are only free to do what you want. Okay, that's right. That sounds good. But you're not free to do what you should. You're not free to do what is righteous. You're not free to make a decision that can crucify your own flesh. And though you can do what you want, here's the issue. You want the wrong things. You want all the wrong things. And so you do what you want, but you want the wrong things because you are controlled by the devil. And there are a lot of people out there who think you're really free. And they don't even believe in the devil. There are a lot of atheists out there who think, I'm totally free. No, you're not. If you do not belong to the family of God, you belong to the devil. What they don't realize is they are a slave. Because the Bible says he who continues to sin is a slave to sin. And when we become a Christian, we are now free to choose what we should and our wants become what they should be. That's what happens. Our nature is transformed. We are transformed from the inside out. That our desires become God's desires. Doesn't mean we're not tempted. Doesn't mean that, that we're not going to have opportunity to sin. It just means now we can choose what is right and what is righteous. Because we no longer are a slave to the flesh and to the sin and to the devil. We are, we are now, we have the power to choose what is right. Becoming a Christian doesn't make you just make right decisions all the time. It's just now you have the ability and the power to make right decisions. And the grace of God is never, it's never given to you to forgive you so you can remain in your sin. The grace of God is given to you to give you the power to get out of your sin. That's what the grace of God is about. And so this whole teaching, Paul is writing to us. He's speaking to us today for us to understand that God's grace can cover us. When we become a Christian... We can now choose what we should. We can now do what we should. It doesn't mean we per we're perfect. It means when we do sin, we actually know it. 
There's a, there's a voice inside of us that speaks to us. And it's the spirit of truth that speaks to us. And we can ask for God's help. And we can trust in God's grace. And we can run to him and he can forgive us. And he can cover us. And he can remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. He blots out our sin. Another part of our past condition where we came from is this, this next one. You were controlled by your desires. You were controlled by your desires. In other words, if it felt good, you did it. If you wanted to do it, you did it. You, as a matter of fact, you couldn't even tell your flesh no. Because I wanted to do it, therefore I did it. That's what debauchery is about. That's why the scripture talks about that drunkenness leads to debauchery. What debauchery is, is the, the inability to say no to your fleshly desires. You think, it's alright for me to get drunk. Actually, here's the deal. You, you, go, go ahead, get drunk. But what happens is this. You are, you, one, that's a sin. Two, you cannot tell your fleshly desires no. You're controlled by them. And there's a doctrine that we believe called the doctrine of human depravity. Meaning we are all sinners by nature and by choice. You think, I didn't choose to be a sinner. You didn't have to. You were born a sinner. Ephesians 2.3 says this, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. How many of us? All of us. In other words, you and I are born with a tendency to sin. And we're born with a desire to sin. We are born wrong and we are born controlled by our desires. And sometimes you hear this, and I, you can even hear it in, in, in church sometimes. You know, man is basically good. Man's just, mankind's just basically good. If you give them the right kind of environment, the right kind of education, if you make sure they're not hungry, and, and, and the goodness of man will eventually come out. How many know that's just not true? The Bible teaches just the opposite. The Bible teaches we all by nature are sinners. The Bible says we are born with a sin nature, and unless that nature is changed, unless that nature is transformed, unless something happens inside of us, we're, we will die with that sin nature. And this is what Paul is telling them. He's saying, listen, I want you to know where you came from. I want you to know where this will help you understand the beauty of the grace of God that you're looking at right today. The Bible also says this when we're talking about the sinful nature, that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Now any of us who, who have children or grandchildren, we know that's probably the truth. There's a lot of foolishness in our children. Amen? Okay, I just want to make sure you're like, not my baby. Ain't no foolishness in my baby. I don't know what you, maybe your kids, Jason, ain't my kids. How I many know you don't have to teach a child to hit their friends? You don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to, to, to just to, to steal. I know I, maybe you are thinking, you know what, I, I know that's true for most of, of people, but it's not true for my children. It's not true for, for my little precious grandchildren, my little beautiful little darling, her little blinky blink eyes and that little pink bow in her head. That's not my baby. She's my little angel. Don't you dare call him or her a sinner and nature by choice. Uh-uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. They're wonderful. Now they are, and I get that. And maybe what you're thinking, you know, they're just a little flower 
They just need to be free to blossom and to bloom and just leave them alone, just cultivate them and just, just give them everything they want and just stick candy in their faces until it comes out their ears. And if they pitch a fit, just give them whatever they want. They'll, don't, they'll blossom. Now, a lot of you know from personal experience that unless something is done about that sin nature in children, unless that precious little flower is trained to go right, to the right direction, that precious little flower will grow up punching you and biting you and yelling at you, disrespecting you, and will eventually bring disgrace to you. And you know that. <laughs> Brother, come on, we'll pray for you after service. We, <laughs> we are all dead in our sins and trespasses. We're all controlled <laughs> by our desires. We're slaves to the devil. We're deprived. But that's the bad news. But that's the past. This is where we came from. That's the picture of where we were. Thank God we can leave that. And now we're going to move into the second thing. For those of you who call on the name of the Lord Jesus, here's the second thing. Where are you now? And this is our present position with Christ. Where are you now? For Christians, what is our present condition? This is so important for you to, to understand. It's so important for you to believe. Because most, many of us still feel like our, our, present, our present position is what Paul just talked about. It's not. It's not. I don't care how much you're reminded of the past. I don't care how much it keeps coming up. The reality is this. That is not your present position. Your present position is where Paul begins to talk about this right now. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. He says this. But, in other words, after I told you how, where you came from, I want to tell you where you are now. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy... <laughs> made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And everybody says amen. Amen. So where are you now? It's this first one. You are alive in Christ. That's where you are. You are alive. This means you who are spiritually dead, God has given you life and said you are alive. He has breathed life into your lungs. He has, he has removed the things of your past. And you are alive, well, kicking and screaming today of the grace of God. And the only way you can have eternal life is for Jesus to come and to give you that life. You can't earn it. You can't discover it. The only thing a dead person needs is life. That's the only thing a dead person, they don't need anything else except for life. You, you can go over to a physically dead person and you can say, listen, I, listen, I just want to give you an example of what it means to be alive. Here, watch me. Follow me. Guess what? They can't watch you. They can't follow you because they're dead. You can't load them down with books and say, just read this and maybe read this, watch this YouTube. Let me sing you this TED Talk. That will help you know how to live life. Let me sing you this podcast. That will help you. Why? Because they're dead. They can't do it. You can try to encourage them and say, now come on, now come on, get out of that coffin. Come on, you can say all of that. He doesn't need an example. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't need love. He doesn't need education. He doesn't need encouragement. He needs life. 
That's the only thing that is the cure to the deadness of a man's soul is the life that only Jesus can give. And you are alive in Christ Jesus. The only thing that will cause you to be a Christian is the life that Jesus Christ gives you today. And he has offered that to you. How many are grateful for that life today? Man, I am. Praise God for that. Amen. Where you are today as a believer in Jesus Christ is that you are alive. You may feel dead, you may feel exhausted, you may feel empty, but my friend, you are alive and well through the power of Jesus Christ. You have life that is available for you to live. You were dead, but now, according to the Bible, you are alive. The second thing of where you are now is that you were resurrected with Christ Jesus. This could say you are resurrected with Christ Jesus. Resurrected with Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, verse 6 says this, And God raised us up with Christ. God raised us up with Christ. This is such a, a cool understanding as, as I was looking into, that, into this this week that Paul uses this word, you are raised, that we are raised up with Christ. It's where we get the word synchronized. It's very interesting. And so when we get the word, which we've shortened it to sync, and so we sync our phones with our computer or the, the cloud that we use, and we transfer our music, our apps, our documents, everything about what, what one machine is is transferred and creates the other machine. It's the same word, to be synchronized with Christ. When you were raised up with Christ, you were synchronized with him. And what God did for Jesus, he, he did for us. That's what it means to be synchronized. What Jesus has, we have. The nature that he has, now we have. The power that he has, now we have. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives into us. The same joy that Christ has, now we have. We have been synced up with Christ Jesus in our resurrection power. And so all that Christ has, every good thing, every, every influence that he might have, all the inheritance of Christ now has been synced and now given to us. How many is thankful for that? That's good. That's what that means. We have been raised with Christ. We have been synced with him. We are one with him. And where else are we right now is, is the third one. You are seated with Christ. You are seated with Christ. And there was so much to be taught about in this, in this passage. We don't have time this morning. But you are seated with Christ. That's where you are now. Your view is, is not what you see. Your view is what God sees right now. You're seated with Christ. Ephesians 2.6 says this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So where are you now? You are seated next to Jesus Christ. And the way that he sees things is the way that he wants us to see things. Because everything is under his feet. Everything is beneath him. The victory that he has is the victory that's available to you today. And I know many of you are going through probably some of the most difficult, confusing seasons and times of your life. Difficult trials. You're facing a challenge of your life. And this sounds like, yeah, you know what, Jason? Yeah, if you were going through what I was going through. And you were going through my pain. You wouldn't be telling me this. But my friend, this is our position with Christ Jesus. You are seated with him. Whether we 
feel it, acknowledge it, want to embrace it or not. Whether we want to live it out or not. We are seated with Christ Jesus. And you think, yeah, but it's, you don't understand, Jason. I want you to just think, think for a moment. Paul's writing this letter. You know where he's writing it? He's writing it in a prison, in a filthy, dark, stingy. The stench of human waste fills his nostrils. Bugs and rats are crawling in a, in a dark cave, and he's stuck in there with a candle, and he's writing. And he's writing this, this understanding of this perspective that I am seated with Christ regardless of my circumstances. He was waiting his next step from that prison that he wrote this letter, that he was going to ha have his head removed because of his love and because he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's, and he's writing this. He's writing, we have been, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. He is full of joy. He's full of life. And his perspective was God's perspective. And what, what he was saying was this, is no darkness of hell can take my position away in Christ Jesus. And that's the same way for you today. Being seated with Christ means we have the superiority, we have the authority over all evil powers. We are never at the mercy of the schemes of the devil. We are never at the mercy, oh no, the devil is after me. Like, knock it off. You have authority over Satan in Jesus' name. You are not at the mercy to the enemy. Yes, it may feel like he's breathing down your neck. Yes, it may feel like he's messing with your life. But you stand strong. I am seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. And I will not allow this to affect me or throw me off course or get me confused or get me filled with anxiety and depression and, and all kinds of things running through my mind. I am seated with Christ. My perspective is not the issues I'm seeing. My perspective is Christ's perspective in that. All I know is this, that all who serve him, all who give him, all who live, all that lives inside of me is the same power that, that raised Christ from the dead. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Therefore, I will not listen to this nonsense. That's what Christ has for you. Doesn't mean that we're divine, but it means that we are sitting with the one who is divine. And we have the power to overcome. And that's what God wants us to hear today. And this third question as we close this out is this. Where are you going? Where are you going? This is our future position. What does God have for us? It's very simple. And it's this, that you are going in, in the future to experience more of God's grace. That's what God has for you. You're going to experience more of God's grace. How many here are going to need more of God's grace as you move forward? <laughs> Amen. Well, good, because you're going to experience it. It's going to flood you. It's going to overwhelm you. Ephesians 2, 7 says this, in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God is going to pour out his grace on you. And this, this word literally means to display with pride. God's going to display your life with pride because of his grace. He's, just going, to sh he's going to show us off one day. He's going to continue to reveal more and more of his grace to us 
He's going he's to parade us around and be like, that's my girl. That's my boy. He's going to say, see, see what I did? They were dead, but now they're alive because of my grace. The Bible says that's what God is going to do for you and to you. He's going to do it to me. He's going to show us off. And we're going to be like, I, I'm not worthy. He's going to be like, you're exactly right. That's why it's called grace. And God's going to delight in you. He delights in you today. And your brokenness and your emptiness. He delights in you and your mistakes. He still smiles at you. He says, that's my boy. That's my girl. Because of his grace for you. This is a, he, and he, he looks, he said, this is a prime example of my grace. Look what, look what I can do with a life that was dead. Look what I can do with their brokenness. Look what I can, look what I did with their pain. Look what I did with their death. Look what I redeemed in such a beautiful, powerful thing. I'm so proud of who they are today. That's what God's going to say to you. And that's what he speaks over you today. Grace starts with God and his love. It doesn't start with your performance. It doesn't start with how good you are. It starts with this, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That is the grace of God. Your salvation is not about your effort. It's about the mercy of God. Salvation is it's not about the goodness of man. It's about the grace of God. It just blows your mind that you could do nothing at all to earn God's grace. It's given freely to you. And that's what we need to understand as God has placed us in this world, that the only difference between a lost person and a found person, a saved person that's, or a person controlled by the devil is one has accepted God's grace and the other did not. But both were offered it. It had nothing to do with how good you are, what family you grew up in, you grew up in a Christian home, a non-Christian home. No, no, no. Everything about your life, about God's goodness, about your salvation, about your, your position has everything to do with God's grace. God is the God of grace. If you need more grace, just receive it. Open your heart. Walk into it. You cannot exhaust the inexhaustible grace of God. Amen to that. You cannot exhaust it. Run to Him today. Drink from Him today. Receive from Him today. Because you are a product. You are a trophy of God's grace. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Lord, I know there are people here today who are struggling with condemnation, struggling with this understanding of your love for them. But God, I pray that through your word that you would begin to peel back deception the enemy has placed on their own mind. Lord, right now, for the, all of those who are in the sound of my voice, who are watching online or in this room, through the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, I take authority over every false lie that's been spoken to every person within the sound of my voice right now. Satan, I curse you. I bind you. I command you to be released off of the minds of this church and these people. God, I pray that you would begin to 
open up all of our hearts and our minds and our spirits to receive your grace that calls us to a higher standard but gives us the ability to reach the higher standard. So, Lord, today I pray if anyone is seeking grace, they would drink deeply from your love. If anyone is maybe legalistic, that they would lay aside the performance and begin to walk in the freedom of your grace and your love. If anyone today, God, needs more grace in their family, God, may they begin to operate and treat their husband and wife and children with the same grace that you've shown them. Lord, may we as a community be transformed by your grace and through your love. And if there, God, I know there's people here today who don't know you. Who would say, you know, Jason, I have not accepted Jesus Christ into my life. And I am that dead person. And I need life. With every head, continue to stay bow and eye closed. If that's you today, and you say, Jason, I want to receive life and be forgiven my past and I want to receive the grace of God and be saved today. If that's you today, nobody looking around, just raise your hand and just hold it up just for a moment so I can see your hand. Anyone in here, you want to give your life to Jesus today? Thank you. Anyone else want to give it? Just hold it up so I can see your hand today. Anyone else? Just raise your hand and hold it up high. Nobody's looking around. Anyone else? Thank you very much. Bless you. Before I move on, this is your moment just to raise your hand and say, Jesus, I want you. Just raise your hand. Lift it up. Amen. We're going to pray with those of you who raised your hand. We as a community and a church and a family are going to pray this and walk with you through this, the most important moment of your life. Come on. If you raise your hand, I want you to make this prayer yours. We're going to pray it with you. Let's all repeat this together. Say, Lord Jesus. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me and cleanse me. I believe that Jesus, you gave your life for me and that you rose from the dead. And I put my trust in you from this moment forward. By your grace only, I'm going to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand. Thank you, Jesus. If we can, let's all stand to our feet. and We're going to close our time together by receiving our offering. But as we receive our offering, we're going to worship together. And Ushers, if you can make your way forward. I just want to ask you guys a question before we receive our offering and we close in this song. How many here are grateful for the grace of God?